Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 8.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Unfortunately, unless you decide to pursue a life of clergyhood, there is one aspect of annual conference that you will never get to be privy to, and that is the clergy session, where, as I said, about 900 of us gathered in a very large room at the Hampton Convention Center, and there we started our meeting with worship. And the first thing we did was sing, How Great Thou Art, Acapella in perfect four-part harmony, led by a deacon. It was an incredible moment to hear 900 clergy sing their faith acapella in harmony together, which is probably one of the only times we're in harmony together, so we take it. And it, it gave you chills. It was powerful. And it's brilliant on the, on the part of the the bishop, because after that, it's like, well, we sounded so beautiful. Surely we can't dissent now. But we did. We sang together. We worshiped together. The chair of the Council of Elders preached to us. It was a beautiful worship service. And then we got down to business. And part of the business that we do in the clergy session is to vote on new clergy. So if you decide to become clergy in the United Methodist Church, we have in our book of discipline, the, the Catholic equivalent to this is the catechism. It tells us not only what we believe, but how to order our church. And under this section of the ministry of the ordained, it says for the admission and the continuance of full membership in the annual conference, that these historic examination questions must be answered in the clergy session. And the bishop serving as chief pastor shall engage those seeking to be admitted in a serious self-searching and prayer to prepare them for their examination before the conference and ask them these questions. And so in front of 900 of their hopeful peers, they stood before us and had to answer 19 questions. But what I want to draw your attention to is starting at number 17, are you determined to employ all your time in the work of God? And they must say, yes. Number 18, are you in debt so as to embarrass you in your work? And they must answer, no. And 19, will you observe the following directions? Be diligent, never be unemployed, never be triflingly employed. Never trifle away time. Neither spend any more time at any one place than is strictly necessary. No loitering. But be punctual. Punctual. Do everything exactly at the time. And do not mend our rules, but keep them. Not for wrath, but for consciousness sake. And if they give their assent to that, then we are able to vote them in as the next class of ordained elders and deacons in full connection with the church. And so as we all sat there, not only do we listen for their response, but we remember our own. And over the last three weeks, we as a congregation have been journeying through one of our founding voices in Methodism, that of an Anglican priest from England named John Wesley, 
who gave a sermon at one point called The Use of Money. And in it, using strong biblical foundation, he urged those people known as Methodists to gain all that they could so that they could save all that they could so that they could give all that they can. And so that's where we find ourselves today. So after preaching a sermon to you about how we should earn all that we can, while I was gone last week, Andy preached a fabulous sermon that I enjoyed listening to about save all that you can. And if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. He gave me a great foundation for today, which is give all that you can. And let's be honest, talking about money makes people uncomfortable in the church. We have cultivated a culture within the church that really doesn't like to talk about it, as if our finances are taboo for discussion. Well, as somebody whose first job at the age of 19, other than babysitting and nannying, was a bill collector, I feel very comfortable talking about money, talking about your money, and telling you where it should go. I was very good at that. And the reason that it's such a good thing is that if I don't talk to you about money, come about October, November, we get to have a really uncomfortable conversation about money. And for those of you who have been here a little while, you know that that conversation usually goes something like this. We are this many tens of thousands of dollars behind on our annual budget. That's a fun conversation, isn't it? Happy Thanksgiving. We don't want to have that conversation. Instead, I believe, as the bishop has led us to believe, that we are called to discipleship, lifelong learning. And learning is not only learning the basic concepts, but the application and tweaking our knowledge as we go along based upon our experience and the feedback we get. And our money is a huge part of who we are. Let's be honest. How we earn our money, what we do with our money, it is part of who we are as human beings, but it is definitely part of who we are as Christians. Now, there are plenty of times where we could say, you know, I'm not really sure how I feel about giving my money to the church. Have you seen what the church does with money? Absolutely. That resonates with me. We are called to be good stewards, not only of our individual money that we earn as individual Christians, but also collectively as the body of Christ, we are charged with that. And I want you to know that as your pastor and as part of the leadership of this church, we do agonize over how we spend the money. Because guess what? It's not our money. It's not your money either. It's God's. And one day, I and many others are going to have to stand before a throne and account for how we spent money. And I don't want to say, well, God, it seemed like a good investment at the time. But buying the entire congregation 11-inch platform shoes did not pan out to be good. <laughs> and I'm sorry, but it sounded good. I don't think Jesus wants to hear that. In fact, I know Jesus doesn't want to hear that because Jesus spends a lot of time about talking about our money in the gospel accounts and what good giving looks like. Good giving is fearless, and that's hard because we are afraid when it comes to money. I had a great-grandmother who lived through the Depression, and she used to get what my family would call the Depression chill, where all of a sudden life would seem fine, and then she would have a visceral remembrance of having less than nothing, and suddenly you had to eat every grain of rice on your plate, and why did you think that you got a second piece of chicken? 
All of a sudden, she would lock down her spending because she got fearful that she would once more go without. And that was a very real fear for my great-grandmother. Now, those of us who were born in 80 and after were like, what is wrong with grandma? But she could remember going without. And if you've ever had to go without, then when you have, you're constantly thinking about, I could once more have nothing. And so we hold on to what we earn. We do exactly what John Wesley said. We save. Hopefully, we save. But then it's so hard, once you've saved, to then let go. That last piece that John Wesley talks about is so difficult. And Jesus pointed us back to the widow that he observed going into the temple and giving every last coin she had. And he looked at her and he showed his apostles and he said, that, that is your model for giving. Right there. And you know what the apostles probably said? He's crazy. If we give everything, what will we have tomorrow? Because giving to the church is in itself an act of faith. And sometimes it can feel like a bigger act of faith than actually putting a bumper sticker on your car that says you go here. So that everybody you then pass is like, oh, those people. They drive like the second coming's coming now, and they're late. Right? Don't slander Jesus with your bumper stickers. But a bigger thing is, don't slander Jesus by becoming stingy. Don't slander our Lord and Savior who gave freely and abundantly by refusing to model what we have been given. Refusing to do as we have been shown. And showing the next generation but I can tell you that there is a fear, a very real fear, that if I do this, if I, God, give you a tenth, will there be enough? I make $50,000 as your pastor. That is my wage. And so a tithe is very simple. It's $5,000. And for some people, that doesn't sound like a lot. For me, that's a multitude of money. And as someone who can remember being 19... Being a very good bill collector, but leaving it because it was a horrific job to do, found herself as a personal assistant to a president of a marketing firm that got laid off. And when I then got laid off, I had to make a horrific decision. Do I pay the water bill or the electric bill? And if you've ever had to make that decision, it's awful. It's an awful decision to make. And so I found myself paying my water bill and living by candlelight for a week and a half. And if you had said to that 19-year-old, it's going to be okay. When you're about 36, you're going to be making $50,000 a year. And you're going to be the pastor of a vibrant, growing, active church. That 19-year-old would have told you you were ridiculous. I'm taking showers in the dark. And they're cold. And you want me to believe that it's going to be not just okay, but better than okay? Get behind me, Satan. But the 36-year-old me would say to that 19-year-old, but yes, it's going to be okay because you, because you still paid your tithe. You paid your tithe before you paid the electric bill. And even though there were some cold showers, and I do not like cold showers, in heaven, there better be no cold showers. Even though there was a short period of time there where I felt like I was suffering, 
I stand here today never regretting the fact that I didn't pay the electric bill. I stand here today humbled by the fact that because I did do what was right by God, God has continuously every single day done right by me. And sure, I could have called my parents in Virginia from New Jersey and said, hey, I need you to send me a little money, but we were not quite to the prodigal child version of my tale. And so I suffered alone. I suffered in darkness. And the moral of my story is that I'm not telling you that God will take my $5,000 and suddenly my bank account will be positive 20. It's not what I'm telling you. The moral of my story is that if we by faith give what God has asked and do what God has called forth from God's people, we will be good. We will be better than okay. Because some of us go through lean times while others go through fat times. And they balance. Did you catch in our scripture today that they were living in a way such that the early disciples and followers of Jesus didn't go without because God let them all win the Roman lottery. Instead, they managed because they decided that the whole was greater than the single individual. They decided that this new world that they were entering into called the body of Christ was worth the fear was worth setting aside the anxiety of will we have enough and sharing what they had. JR wasn't kidding you when he said, you know, we took 100 kits, but somehow 46,000 showed up. 46,000. Do you know how long it would take us to do 46,000 kits? And yet, because we believe as the United Methodist Church that we are bigger than any one single church, we are bigger than any one district, we are bigger than any one conference, the church thrives the world over. And almost 100 laity, laet kits went to our annual conference, meaning almost 100 women in their time of need when their house is no longer viable and they have nothing will not have to fear and mourn that their child does not have clean clothes or diapers. And in that moment, they will look up to heaven and go, Lord, you provided. And they're not going to say, oh, wow, that Pastor Sarah was amazing in what she did for me about a year and a half ago. Instead, they will give all of that glory to God where it belongs. And I rejoice at the fact that we are part of God's providence for others because of how we give and what we do. One thing I didn't tell you was that the red of crozet in the picture means that you paid 100% of your apportionments last year. 100% of our tithe to the greater church, to the district and the conference and therefore the global church. I have pastors that would kill to see their church's name in red. You can be fiscal stewards. You can do good things. But why should we stop where we are? Do you feel that the kingdom has come? Have we eradicated misery, hopelessness, hunger, nakedness, thirst, and loneliness here in Crozet? Because if we haven't, then we do have work to do. And God has given us everything and more that we need to do it. And so when you think to yourself, should I give? I hope you will remember 
that that fear that starts to edge out of your heart and move into your brain, that fear that says, you know, you might want to pay the mortgage first, the fear that says there might not be enough, this could be a lean year, you might want to hold something back, that piece of you that makes that promise to God, God, I'm going to pay it all in December. No, you're not. Instead, we act first out of faith, and out of our faith comes the response of God. We take those first steps and realize that as we enter into uncharted territory for us, that God has already been there and blessed, and that we will be okay, because we are going to be better than okay. Giving is about the same faith that it took to gain, to save. John Wesley wrote, once wrote that he had a fear that the greatest detriment to Methodists would be that we became rich. That if we became rich, that our holiness and our vibrancy and our desire to do would wane because we would become too attached to the money. And so long before Methodists ever became solidly middle and upper middle class, he started preaching that sermon on the use of money to try to get out ahead of what the compulsion of the heart was. And I'll tell you, I think all the time about how I spend my money. I'm on my bank app at least three times a day looking at how I spend my money. And I pray to God that the gifts that God has given me to be frugal, to be thrifty, to be creative in my finances without being dishonest will come to bear in my life. But it's not just me. I have a family, a husband, a child, and the decision to tithe affects them. I could be rolling that $5,000 into my son's 529 account because it's not getting any cheaper to send your kids to college. I could be rolling that money into a 401k. I could be doing many things with that money. But I know that one day I and many other Christians like me will stand before the throne and our maker. And I want to be able to tell my Lord and Savior that while there were many things that I got blatantly wrong, I always tried to trust in God. And I rejoice that the little that I was able to give was able to be part of the miraculous providence of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you and I will continue to grow in that, that we will be bonded together as those first disciples were because there was something going on in their midst. Did you hear how many joined that day? 3,000. 3,000 people encountered those first followers of Jesus and said, I am all in. What do you want of me, Lord? Whatever I have, I will sell it and I will bring the goods and I will bring the gifts and I will bring what I have because I want so much to be part of this. What you are building, build here. That is what God is calling from us, what God has been calling forth from believers from before the days that Jesus walked the earth. And if we choose to live and give fearlessly, then God will multiply the blessings. Because there are people that you and I will never meet who will be impacted by the gifts that we bring to this altar. And we may never know. But I would like to think 
that one of the miraculous gifts of that new spiritual body that we're all promised upon entrance into the kingdom of heaven come, that that new spiritual body would have a heightened awareness of what God has done and what God is doing. And that perhaps as we are all seated at God's heavenly table and we all partake of unending communion, that we might suddenly see and know and love those that we have affected simply from our faithfulness here and now. May our gifts be a means of grace, not only to honor and glorify God Almighty, but to give to those who go without and to help hearts turn daily and join our number so that the lost may come home and we may all enter into the kingdom together. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.